Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. We get to look into your word. We get to look into truth. We get to investigate the breadcrumbs that you have left for us to discover you, your creation, why we're here. Father, I just ask for your grace to be given to us and that you would challenge us in this classroom to think as you think. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have a question for you. Last week, we learned that it takes more faith to be an atheist, or I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Why does it take more faith to be an atheist? What point did we make with that? Victoria? Okay. All right. So now, did you guys understand that? So the Christian is building evidence for his case, there is a God. The atheist is building his case that there is no God. To make that truth claim there is a God or there is no God, it needs to be substantiated by evidence. That's what we do in a courtroom. That's not necessarily what we do in a laboratory. A laboratory, that's called empirical truth. This is called historical truth or historical evidence. We are, or legal historical evidence. That we are acting as a classroom, excuse me, as a, as a jury, as a courtroom. We're weighing the evidence. So if there's more evidence for the Christian to lead him to his conclusion than there is for the atheist takes leads him to his conclusion then the step of faith is smaller for the christian than for the atheist now do you guys understand that that's really important the more evidence you have the less faith you need so if that's true if it requires more evidence excuse me if more evidence requires less faith and our goal as Christians is to increase our faith, then isn't this class counterproductive? That is my question. Did you guys understand that question, or did your mind just go poof? Okay. So, I'm going to ask that question again. If more evidence, therefore, requires less faith, and our, our goal as a Christian is to increase in our faith, then isn't this class counterproductive? Because we're going to learn more evidence, and so it will require less faith. But we're called to have more faith. I think that in some areas, like, it might cause less faith, but I think that in other areas it will cause more. Okay. It depends on the word you use. We're okay, explain. We're talking about faith as in trusting God, and when we say we need more faith, more trust in God. Whereas faith as in trusting, trusting evidence. evidence different. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Like when you call a baby, like Noah baby, it's different than when you call your youngest child who's 18 baby. It's the same word, but different use. Okay. All right. Anybody else want to give some input? All right. We're on the right track here. Ha-ha. <laughs> One more learning more about Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, you were, you were talking first. Though. Again, um, no, go for it. When we learn more about the truth, we build our faith in God through that truth. Okay. Hello? Uh, and uh, also, I think 
you were talking about this uh, last week, that uh, or sometime, that uh, that uh, that that we can find a, a lot of events uh, about God, but, but but there's a but where we only have a limit to to uh, amount to uh, think about, and the rest is like to infinity since God is infinite. So the okay. rest, uh, you can uh, still have uh, faith because. Yeah, because the rest goes on for eternity. Okay. All right. So if we're in the process of discovering this infinite God, it's going to take infinite faith. So there's always room for faith to grow. Is that what basically you're saying? Yes. Okay. So you guys are all on the right track. Excellent. Um, Now, I'm going to share something with you, touch on it for about five minutes, and I think it's going to clear this up. And I'm going to make a distinguish, I'm going to make a distinction between two types of faith. The type of faith that I am talking about right now in this class, and I want you to write this down, is forensic faith. That's intellectual. You are trying to ascertain truth. Now, I'm saying that Christianity has truth. We're going to actually come back to that because some people don't believe that. They think religion is all about faith. It's all about um, it has nothing to do with facts. It's all about opinion. Okay? Forensic faith is ascertaining the facts. It's ascertaining the truth. Is there a God? Truth or no truth or not true. Is Jesus the Son of God? Forensic faith leads us to a conclusion about that. Did Jesus die and rise from the dead? We can actually investigate that. That falls in the category of forensic faith. Now let me turn a light bulb on for you. The demons have forensic faith. As a matter of fact, they may be even more convinced that there is a God than you are. Let me quote to you from James chapter 2, verse 19. It says, You believe there is one, go- one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So they have forensic faith. They, have, they know the evidence. I mean, they've actually talked with God. As far as I can tell, face to face. So they know that there is a God. They know that God created the earth in six days. They know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross because they did it. They know that Jesus rose from the dead. Plan spoiled. Oh, well. They know these facts. But see, that's forensic faith. Now, here's my question. Why do the demons tremble? They have forensic faith. They know the facts. Why do they tremble? Okay. They know their future. Okay. And what is their future? To be joined with the enemy in hell. Okay. Suffering in hell, pain, punishment forever and ever, no end. But why? Because they don't have faith. Okay, wait a second. Here we go. What faith then do they not have? Trusting in God. Yes. 
So there is a faith that there is a God, and then there is a faith in God. Okay? I can trust that that chair is made out of fabric, foam, metal, screws. But for me, I can believe that. But for me to believe in the chair means I know it's going to support, I believe it's going to support my weight and I will sit in it. Totally different types. So our class is going to talk about forensic faith. Forensic faith is there. God purposefully created this universe to lead uh, with enough, enough evidence for us to have forensic faith so that we can then have saving faith. Okay? The forensic faith the f- is the evidence. The evidence is like breadcrumbs that led Hansel and Gretel to the house, the witch's house in the, the forest, right? The breadcrumbs. So God has left his fingerprints if you will, or another analogy is the breadcrumbs to lead us to him. Now, can I say this, that my forensic faith is strong because I've studied apologetics coming out my ears, but what I'm still growing in is my saving faith. Now, I'm calling it saving faith, and it's not just faith that saves me, but it is day-to-day Believing in God, trusting Him. So saving faith is knowing the facts, but saving faith is the next step of, I am now changing my allegiance. I am not pledging my allegiance to Satan, self, or sin, the three S's. I'm not pledging my allegiance to Satan, self, or sin anymore. I'm pledging my allegiance to my Savior, the only yes that really counts in this situation. Okay? So it's faith in. So we have forensic faith. We have saving faith. Very important for us to distinguish between the two. I remember I was talking to a professor of mine in college. He, uh, he was a, uh, an English teacher. Um, he had read Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a neo-Orthodox theologian, uh, pastor. Um, I totally disagree where that, uh, where, where that theological persuasion comes from. Um, I don't want to get into that except to say that he misunderstood what I'm saying to you right now. So a professor said to me, but Mike, why do you... Because I, I did a paper on the resurrection, the proofs for the resurrection of Jesus. And he asked me, he said, Mike, but why do you need evidence? Doesn't that contradict your faith? And so I walked him through what I'm walking you through right now. I understand that what you're saying, but (coughs) the type of faith that I'm talking about, the platform on which I have my saving faith, is the evidence. It's the forensic faith. It's the knowing there is a God. Now I have to trust in that God that I know about, okay? So the demons have forensic faith. They know about God. They just don't know God, all right? They're in rebellion against him. Any questions on that? You guys had some really good answers. 
No more questions. Any comments? Any different opinions? Hello? Go for it. Uh, Right. Okay. Because they had forensic faith, but they did not have saving faith. Okay, so to speak. So then the question is, are you willing to climb into Jesus's wheelbarrow? Because that's saving faith. Not just trust him for your finances, trust him with your life, pledging your allegiance to him. Okay, that's believing in. All right, now, I did ask a question last week, and I told you it was your homework, and it had to do with Thomas Kuhn's scientific revolutions. Can anyone... Remind the class what that question Yes. Can we know truth and why? I'm sorry? Can we know truth? Can we know truth and why? So as you read through this chapter, what was your conclusion? Okay. So I was saying well, that's well, pretty much what she said. Okay. So All right. if we can approximate Good. truth, is that a truth? All right. Good. We're actually going to come back to that. Of the three reasons why I disagree with that, that's number three, and that's the one I'm going to come back to. So, Roadrunner Tactic. We're going to have to talk about the Roadrunner Tactic and what that is. So, good. Good. Now, how many of you were able to answer that question as you read through the material? I forgot about it. Okay. The question then is, Thomas Kuhn's book, Scientific Revolutions, certainly not a revelation, by the way, um, though to a degree, because there are many scientific truths. They're not really truths. They are conclusions. So here's a better way. It's not that we're approximating truth. It is, or we can never grasp truth. We can only approximate it. That was his conclusion. No. We... There are many scientific conclusions, and those conclusions, many times they only approximate what is true. Okay, at this point, we may stumble across the truth. All right, so then the question is can we ever know truth? Which is what, how how you put it, or how you guys put it, and I think this this was my question, but Thomas Kuhn said we can only approximate truth, true or false. So do you see how they're the saying the same thing? Is there truth out there? Can we know truth? Thomas Kuhn was saying, no, we can't. We can only come closer and closer and closer to it, but we can never truly know truth. Here's how we know that that statement is wrong. Well, let me back up. First of all, you say the roadrunner tactic. What, how else can we know that that statement is not true? Okay, do, can you, is, are there any uh, verses that come to your mind? or? A, a, okay, so we can know Jesus who is the truth. Well, it, I'm, I'm kind of confused about the question because 
the guy said yes because that's what they're teaching but is he talking about no all truth no certain truth because if we're talking about certain truth then so he, he's saying certain truth not this all truth Okay, but certain truth. And he gives examples in his book. And that was the whole thing of the Copernicus Revolution. Sorry? Okay, now I'm so confused. Yeah, but, then, but he agrees that we know some things, right? Like we know we're standing on something. He, are you talking about Thomas Kuhn and his book? Yes. Okay, Thomas Kuhn, he would say that science only approximates truth. So therefore... I'm not sitting in a chair that's... We just 99% sure know that. Okay, yeah. so what you're saying then is there is scientific truth, there's philosophical truth, maybe there are different types of truths, right. and he's only addressing scientific truth, okay? We're approximating the truth with this so far, okay? <laughs> All right, now, here's when, here's what you can do. When someone makes a statement, like there's no such thing as absolute truth, we'll come back to that, but... How do you know what they're saying is true or not? Come up with examples in which your example proves that it's not true. Can you think of a truth that is not an approximation of a truth, but is really truth? Give me an example. If you don't put the lid on the blender, it's going to make a mess. Okay, there are times, though, if you put it on low, it won't make a mess. Are you kidding me? Not in my house. <laughs> not in your house? I do it all the time. Say it one more time. That's a great example. How many of you heard that? Two plus two always equals four. Okay. What level of math did you say you were? <laughs> two plus two equals four. It never equals five. And someone can, they've actually done this, by the way. They've actually tried to say, but in this circumstance, and the example that they give is so nebulous and twists the facts to suit their example that equals three or five or something, whatever it is. And it's, okay, good try, but buddy, you're off track. No, two plus two will always equal four, okay, in, in our existence, okay? Um, now, we could come up with many other examples of facts that are true, are always true, we're not approximating those truths, they're true. Or, as some people say, they're true truths. Sorry, that sounds redundant. But when we're talking about philosophy, sometimes that's what we have to say. These are true truths. Okay. So, that's good. Okay, so we can come up with the examples, and we can actually demonstrate that Thomas Kuhn's statement is not completely accurate. Now, granted, he was talking about scientific revolutions, and so he was talking more about science, but I remember reading his book, and he did not, to my recollection, qualify truth as only scientific truth. Now, maybe I'm mistaken on that. But within the realm of science, even, is there truth? Yes. Yes, of course there is. Do we learn more and more? Absolutely. Now, how many of you are familiar with the uh, the state with, um, how can I call this, um, with this perspective? 
called the God of the Gaps. Have you ever heard that expression before, the God of the Gaps? Here's how it goes. Um, we observe something and we say, wait a second, this person had cancer one day, they don't have cancer a month later, how is this scientifically possible? They say, because you don't understand the scientific reasons of what happened in that one month time period, and we don't comprehend it, and the doctors don't comprehend it, there's a gap in our scientific knowledge. But you Christians come along and say, and fill in that gap with God. One day, we will understand all there is to know about science, or at least approximate it, right? And we'll be able to exclude God from all of those gaps, and there will be no need for God. That is the materialistic perspective. Um, that's called the God of the gaps. That is materialism. That is the perspective of the atheist. Um, I would say that in the past, many superstitious beliefs fell into that category. Someone got sick. It wasn't germs. It was, a, it was a, an evil spirit. Well, no. It was, it was truly a germ. You got a sickness, you got a disease, it wasn't an evil spirit. Now, give me one second as I try to remember why I even brought this up. <laughs> okay, truth is knowable. Whenever anybody says, brings out that argument of the God of the gaps, that does, you just say, well, tell you what, let's weigh the evidence. And the truth, though, is you cannot know all the facts about anything. Even in a courtroom, you can come to a, um, great, what are the two levels? Um, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I believe it's the preponderance of evidence. One has to do with criminal law, the other has to do with civil. But we can have enough evidence to say, this guy's guilty. Do you know everything? No. Can you still make a conclusion that's true? Yes. However, if someone is on trial that is a loved one of yours, and you just think in your mind, there's no way that my best friend killed that person. But all the evidence leads to it. I mean, everybody and their uncle believes this guy is guilty. It is so clear. The DNA, the fingerprints, the film, it even shows him on the film doing it. But you still will not believe it. Why? Because you love him. You say you know him. And he would never do something like that. But he did it he was guilty okay there are atheists who regardless of the evidence they will still say nope you still don't know everything you still don't know everything and because you don't know everything i'm going to remain an atheist they will remain an atheist all of their lives because no one can know everything except god 
okay? So for someone to say to you, because you don't know all the facts, then you can't say that there is a God. That would be untrue. Because when you go into a court of law, they don't go by that rule. Cold case Christianity, he's going to bring that up. Just because you don't know all the facts doesn't mean you can't render a true verdict or, or a guilty or not guilty verdict. And so we all, even in the scientific realm, we are all led by the evidence, okay? Certain conclusions, all right? When we are talking about evolution, they say evolution's a fact. Well, no, number one, there's a lot of contrary evidence. But it's just that they don't want to believe that. You don't want to believe that your best friend is a murderer. But the evidence points in that direction. So we're talking now about uh, our will. We're talking about emotions that are going to come into play here. And they will, you, they will not want to believe there is a God. So as we, as we now, right now, we're talking about truth and approximating truth. Um, we're, we can give examples that would contradict that. No, we can't. There is a thing called truth. There is a thing called scientific truth. There truly is. The second thing I'm going to say is that truth is knowable. We're, we're leading in this direction. Um, some say that all truth is relative and there is no such thing as absolute truth. Others say, well, not necessarily. It's only moral and religious truth that's relative. Well, let's tackle that first one. All truth is relative. Um... There we go. There are no moral absolutes. Is that an absolute? Is that an absolute? <laughs> I'm making a truth statement that there are no that there is no such thing as truth statements, basically. So to say there's no such thing as truth, I am making a truth statement. So it's self-contradictory. Now that leads us into the roadrunner tactic. But I want to ask you this. Because there are three things. Number two, what I'm talking about is truth is knowable. Here's my question. Is moral, religious truth knowable or is it just opinion? How can we know this? How can we know if it's right or wrong to murder? How can we know if Christianity is true and Islam is false? How can we know these things? Because we're being told by the world it's just a matter of opinion. How can you know this? Believe it or not, I've already given you the answer in class. How can you know? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's a religious statement. Therefore, he is the only way and all other religions are false. That's what Jesus is saying, or at least the people who wrote that down that said Jesus said this. Wow, that's a religious statement. How do I know that's true or not? Okay, evidence. So we're going to have to dig into the evidence. So with Thomas Kuhn, we're going to have to dig into the evidence. Do we only approximate truth? Or can, is truth actually knowable? Okay, thirdly. Oh, before I talk about number three, I want you to turn in your books. Oh, let me see. Page 37 and 38. I'm going to, I want us to, these are some good insights about truth. All right? Because we need to know what truth is. 
37 and 38. I want you, in taking notes, I want you to label this the truth about truth. You can do that in the portions that uh, I'm going to encourage you to mark right now. And that's the very bottom of page 37 and the first and the top half of page 38. Okay, and I'm just going to go through these for you. Okay, here is the truth about truth. Truth is discovered, not invented. Why is that true? Why must that be true? If it was invented, then we can invent any truth we want. Okay, and then how would we know if that's true or not? Okay. Yeah, if we invent a truth, how do I know that that's a truth? Okay, so we can only discover truth. We can never invent it. Did Saxon, did you have to say something else? I said, like, I could become, like, I am a butterfly. Okay. No, that's Interesting mad. statement. <laughs> so how is that um, invented Basically, versus discovered? It's an invented truth because clearly I'm not a butterfly. Okay, all right. And we can test it, and we can discover that it's not true. Because actually, the fact that you're a human being existed, that truth existed before your statement, I am a butterfly. So we had to investigate and discover whether what your statement was true or not. And just so that you know, we discovered you're a human being and not a butterfly. Just so you know, I don't want you to go home with lots of doubts in your mind. You're a human being and you're not a butterfly. Okay, good. I'm looking at your eyes and I think I've convinced you. Good. Yes. So that's another way why we know we, it's not invented. It already existed before anybody could have invented it. Okay. There was a time before Adam and Eve discovered that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I do believe that they discovered that truth. So before they discovered it, was it not true? No, it's always been true. So truth is true, independent of me. It is independent of my personal opinion. Um, look then there, truth is not affected by attitude of the one professing it. Okay? It's not affected by opinion. Look at the top. Truth is transcultural. What does that mean? Anybody know what transcultural means? Okay. In every culture. That's what it means by transculture. In every culture. Transculture. Okay. Um, so. I'm sorry? Apparently, Chick fil A is delicious. In every culture. In every culture. Which makes it a transcultural truth. Yeah. Hmm. You don't want to eat. Yeah. Wait, no. But you have to eat chicken. Okay. So, and you know what? Um, decadent fudge ice cream is the best ice cream ever as well. I'm sorry, but that's a truth. So how do I know that that's not a truth? I'm sorry, but Briar's vanilla ice cream is the best. What is wrong with you? Who has vanilla? Let me reel you in here, guys. So how, how do you, why do you think that what I say is not true? Okay, so you're saying it's my opinion. Because so how do you know it's just my opinion? Because I don't. Because I've tasted it. 
my taste buds don't say the same thing. They're not I saying the same thing. Do you listen real closely? I'm <laughs> teasing you there. Okay, so you disagree with me, and you say it is not true. So I maybe I could say, well, you know what? Maybe there's a problem with your taste buds. So we could take a poll. How many of you in this room would say that, what did I call it? Decadent fudge ice cream is the best ice cream out there. How many of you would say that? I've never had it. Okay, maybe one or two, but there's 10 people in this classroom. Okay. What's wrong with you? Who are you? Ice cream is good. So now we begin to move into opinion, and that has to do with with taste. It has to do music. Has to do with sound. It has to do with what we call opinion. I don't, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of what opinion is and and how do you define it. And but we can know for sure that truth does not fall into the realm of opinion. It can't. Because people have differing opinions, and truth does not vary. So it's transcultural. It's true in every culture. Okay? Um, truth is unchanging. Beliefs change. So let's understand this. There is a difference between belief and truth. Does the Muslim believe that Jesus is God? No. Do they believe that he's only a prophet? Yes, they actually believe that. Do Christians believe that Jesus is God? Yes. Absolutely. It's one of the pillar truths of Christianity. Do Christians believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead? Yes. Okay. The Muslims don't believe that. They don't believe that he was the son of God either. So... The belief system is different, but I'm going to tell you what. There is only one truth. Jesus either is God or he is not. He cannot be both. The Christian can't be right and the Muslim right on this. So there's a difference between beliefs and truths. Hopefully we believe the truth, but not always. Okay, so there's a difference in beliefs but there is not a difference concerning truth. Truth is truth. Yes? Um, but with religion, we can, like you said, we can only look at the evidence. But how can we even know that's true? Because like hundreds of years ago, people believed the earth was flat and supposedly they had evidence and everyone believed it. Mm -hmm. Or like, um, I forget his name, but they believed uh, up in certain people what they said, but then later it was proved wrong. How can we know that the evidence is true? Okay. So that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to look at all the evidence, and we're going to have to compile the evidence, just like in a courtroom. It's what they call circumstantial evidence. But when you have enough circumstantial evidence, it points you in the right direction. should. All right? But truth is truth, regardless of whether we come to the right conclusion or not. The Christian and the atheist debate, and they come to different conclusions, but one of them is one of them makes a true statement, the other does not. The Christian says there is a God, and the atheist says there is no God. They cannot both be true because of this. And I want you to write this down in your book. This is one of the things, I mean, 
this list that they have here is not exhaustive. In other words, there, there's some, these are just some statements, not all the statements you can make about truth. Here's one I want you to add. Truth does not contradict itself. That's implied in these, but I want to make it clear. Truth cannot contradict itself. Are you taking notes? Do you have? Yeah, I want you to take notes. Truth cannot contradict itself. So how do you then deal with the statement, well, that's true for you, but not true for me? Sorry. <laughs> That's exactly right. Is that true? Well, well, I mean, yes. But I don't think you could actually say that to somebody who didn't. Yeah, I know. Right. Even if you proved it to them. Okay. Okay, people who actually believe that, I don't think you should find other ways to talk to them because that argument is going to go around and around and around. So what people who strongly believe in that argument that what's true for you is is not true for me. Okay. Because um, like if you try to talk to somebody, the argument is going to keep just going around and around in circles. So maybe find some other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, they may not understand. Well, let's just jump into it right now. The concept of the roadrunner. Let's get into that. The concept of the roadrunner tactic. What is that? You, I always felt frustrated. I felt there were some times in which I felt pity for the poor coyote, even though he was always trying to eat the roadrunner and the roadrunner was trying to preserve his life. But wow, did Wiley Coyote always get it in the end. But you remember how many times, it's happened at least once, if not several times in each, t- how many of you have ever seen the TV show, The Roadrunner? Okay, some of you have not. Oh my. So there's a roadrunner. And Wiley Coyote is a coyote, and he is Wiley. And he is always plotting how to capture the Roadrunner and eat him. And so the Roadrunner plays tricks on him all the time. And so, you know, he gives him a gift, and Coyote is so excited, and he opens the gift, and it blows him up. (laughs) Some silly stuff like that. It's usually a little bit more complicated, the storyline. But there are times in which Wiley Coyote will dash after the Roadrunner and just go like he's got a rocket on his back and he's, he's getting closer and closer to the Roadrunner and all of a sudden the Roadrunner stops right at the edge of the cliff and Wiley Coyote goes out. And suddenly the rocket fuel ends. Poof, and he's just dangling there, looking around. And then boom, he falls. Okay, And he falls... But the idea of the roadrunner tactic is that he's out in, he's, he's beyond the cliff, he's dangling out with a thousand or five thousand foot drop, and it always happens in like the mountains of, of the desert, of the Rockies, whatever, okay, canyons. And so he drops thousands of feet and he sp- smashes. But of course, he's alive for the next TV show. Yeah. <laughs> so, see. Yeah. 
resurrection is true. See, guys. <laughs> and so, but the idea of the roadrunner tactic, it, he's dangling with no ground under him. So that's why this is called the roadrunner tactic. There's no ground of support under him. So with that in mind, I mean, they had to call this something. So with that in mind, someone tell me what the roadrunner tactic is. Okay. Self-defeating statement. Okay. That is the phrase, it's self-defeating. So you're, you're, both of you guys are absolutely right. It's internally contradictory. It's like saying there are no absolute truths. What's the problem with that statement? Okay. He is stating it as an absolute truth. So you can't say that there's no such thing as absolute truths because you are stating that as an absolute truth. Okay? We'll give you some other examples of um, self-defeating statements. Can you think of any? Are there some more dimensions? Yes, please. Can I just say one that has nothing to do with it, but is in itself a no, doesn't have to. Okay, so like my mom said, she's never right. There we go. Okay, good. So if she's never right, then that statement can't be right. Don't ask me a question if you know I can't answer it. Well, then how do I know you can't do it? Okay. How about this one? I can't speak English. <laughs> no, I'm not. Now, you're laughing like you've not heard that one, but that was the example written in the book. So, if you read the book, why are you... Anyway. It's still funny. All right. I do not exist. So, if I don't exist, how can I even say I don't exist? I was never here. Okay, I was never here. Good, okay. Or how about the little thing, you know, you've already... Mike Curtis was here. Mike Curtis was not here. How about that one? Well, someone else could have said that. Good. Okay. That's true. Raise your hand if you're not in class. Yes. Raise your hand if you're not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That, that, well, that's, that's close. Or yes. Another one. The universe one? has no purpose. Universe has no purpose. Now, elaborate on that. We it's self-defeating. A, then why do we have a mindset that is so focused on purpose? Okay, now, I'm going to say that you're absolutely true. It's just that that statement is not self-defeating. Okay, so that's a good example. It sounds for us like it's self-defeating, but the atheist would still be able to build his case. And the reason why I believe he would be wrong is not because it's his, con- his conclusion is self-defeating, but the evidence defeats it. So the roadrunner tactic, okay, so the roadrunner tactic does not work on every argument. It just works on the self-defeating arguments, such as there are, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Did you have another example? Uh, yes, I was going to say, uh, uh, I liked uh, the other example I gave in, in the book of, uh, uh, in Ween the Pooh that I watched, watched before. 
Um, where uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh was like, yeah. is, there, is there anybody home? And then, then the rabbit in there said, no, there's nobody. And, and okay. he was like, that's very, that's very odd or something like that because somebody just said nobody. Right. <laughs> that's odd. I can just imagine Winnie the Pooh saying that, you know. Yes. But he has to, mm, he has to think about it like this, right? Okay, good. Um, how about this? Um, we can only approximate truth. So, is that an approximation of truth? Or is that a truth statement? Because maybe you're wrong. And if maybe you're wrong, then that means you're not right. So, that's self-defeating. So, one of, th- the, the pro- one of the problems with Thomas Kuhn, and since one of you brought that up, uh, oh, Brooklyn, you brought that up, is Thomas Kuhn's statement that we can only approximate truth is a self-defeating statement. Because that statement is a truth statement, and it, he clearly does not mean that it's an approximate statement, approximate statement to truth. Okay? Do you guys understand that? If, how can I say it is true that we can only approximate truth? Because if, we're, if what I'm saying is only approximating truth, then what I'm saying is not really true. Therefore, I can't say I'm only approximating truth because that would that's a false statement. So it's, self, it's self-defeating. Okay? Um, how about truth does not exist? Which is what a lot of people say. Truth doesn't exist. That's kind of what... Well, that's not really what Thomas Kuhn is saying, but okay. Truth is not, that's, self, that's a self-defeating statement. Um, now, it's also, it's true for you, but not for me. Um, no, let, I'm going to come to that last. How, and this is one, when we get into morals that people make all the time, you should not judge. You should not judge. How is that a self-defeating statement? It is a judgment. When I tell you, don't judge, I'm judging you for judging. Because usually it's said after you you observe something that they interpret as judging. Like, if they said it out of nowhere, you shouldn't judge. Like, I'm just going to give you a list of guidelines. Then it's not judging, it's just a list of guidelines, but it usually comes after mm-hmm. you've said, you know, um, abortion is wrong. Don't judge. Yeah. So what do we judge? Do we not judge? That's, I, I want to ask you that question. Should we just never judge? If we never judged, why do we have prisons? Oh, only because judges judge. Okay, so why do parents tell their kids, don't do that? That is wrong. Don't judge your children. So you don't judge your children? You don't ever take them to the bathroom and spank? You never tell them they were wrong? Great. So how do they even know right from wrong? Because you can never know right from wrong. Where does that thinking lead us in our society? Total chaos. And yet some people will say that uh, moral truth is relative. 
Okay, so is child abuse wrong? Well, yeah. Hang on a second. That's your truth. Maybe for somebody else, that's not true. Maybe it's totally fine for them. As a matter of fact, maybe it's totally fine for them to abuse your child or whatever. And wait a second. Absolutely not. But morals are relative. Morals are opinions. Now for you to tell that person they're wrong, that's your moral judgment on them. You're, you're treating morals as if they're absolutes. We can then say murder is relative. Oh, really? So Hitler's killing of the six million Jews, was that right or wrong? Oh, of course it was wrong. Really? But maybe for Hitler it was right. No way. What would you do? Would you have tried to stop Hitler from doing what he thought was right? But it was wrong what he did. So you're going to impose your opinion of right and wrong on Hitler? Even though maybe the majority of Germany thought that it was okay. So you can never judge right or wrong based on the majority. That doesn't make it right or wrong. We have to look somewhere to find out what's right or wrong. That's actually where we're going to go with this. We need to know, can I trust this book right here? Because if there is a God and that God gave me a sense of right and wrong, but sin corrupted it, how do I know what is right and wrong? Right and wrong, logically, has to be more than an opinion. Because someone's got to tell Hitler that what he did was wrong and stop him. So all the moral relativists, what did they do? Tell you what, some of them went to war to try and stop Hitler. Internally, that was a contradiction because their own beliefs said that they shouldn't do that. You're going to hear this type of stuff. Morals are relative. And just ask them. Use examples. So is Hitler right or wrong? Okay? Is the murderer right or wrong? Well, it depends on the circumstance. Well, I'm sure that we can find an example in which you would say he was absolutely wrong. Why? Why is he wrong? Because you're trying to tell me no one can say to the other person, you're wrong, because morals are relative. They're not. Okay, so we, if morals are not relative, where are we going to get our morals? We have to get it from somewhere. I'm saying we can get it from this book, because we can trust this book. And so our entire classroom is going to discover why we can trust this book. That's where we're going with all of this. That's where each of the books are going. Because if we can't trust this book, how then do we live? How do I know I have purpose? How do I know which religion is right? How do I know right from wrong? How do I know if there's a God or not? How do I know what to do with my life? Is there a God I can have a relationship with and he actually leads me? What is my purpose? So... That's the end game. That's where we're going with all of this. Can I trust this? Or can I not? When someone tries to say all religions are true, how do you respond to that? Is that true or false? All religions are true.
Okay. Can you give me an example? Well, we think, as Christians, we say that Jesus is, like, God and, like, all that. Okay. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. All right. And Muslims don't believe that Jesus was that. Okay. Therefore, it contradicts each other. And we discovered that truth doesn't contradict itself. So is it true that all religions are right? We would have to say, based on what we have talked about concerning truth, no, because truth can't contradict itself. So either Christianity is right, or Islam is right, or another religion is right. But they both can't be right. And we could actually point to a lot of things concerning God. In Islam... God is not the loving God that Christianity points him out today. He is a vindictive, angry God in Islam. Um, the, their view of Jesus, our view of Jesus, their view of sin, their view and way of salvation. You can never truly know that you're going to heaven if you're a Muslim. This does, by the way, create a lot of fear when you're witnessing to a Muslim. There is a fear that they will not go to heaven. And to overcome that fear, they have to build a case for themselves of good works. I'm going to keep doing good works, doing good works, doing good works, and I'm going to present that case to Allah when I die. And I don't know if they think that you'll be able to argue your way in, but he's going to weigh whether you should go to heaven or not. Totally based on good works. Actually, Christianity is the only religion that is based not on good works and what we do, but it is based, our salvation, not our rewards, but our salvation is based strictly on, by God's grace, through faith. It's the only religion. Every other religion is works-oriented. Christianity is grace-oriented. Um, so anyway, uh, I think that's enough for what I want to cover in, in class today. For next week, I want you to read chapter 2. Um, portions of chapter 2 are going to be hard. Some of what we talked today really gets into philosophy or logic. And I don't think it was too hard for you. Next week, you might struggle. Just put question marks next to underline some things. When I disagree or not understand an author, I put a squiggly line with a question mark. Stands out to me. Maybe when I read the book next time, I'll understand it. Or maybe I'll, if I disagree with him, maybe I'll agree with him next time because I've thought it through more. So just do something, question marks, squiggly marks, lines, whatever, but I, I want us to talk about that. Read it. If you don't understand something, read it again, maybe a third or fourth time. Try and think it through. Why is he saying this? How, how does it make sense? Um, because if you don't understand something and then he builds on something that you don't understand, you're not going to un understand that next thing. And if you don't understand the first two things, you're not going to understand the third if he builds that third principle on the first two. So it's going to be important. Just try your best, and then we'll talk about it next week. Okay? Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for your truth. There is a truth, and we can know that truth. And Jesus came to show us that truth. And he showed it by showing himself. He was the embodiment of all that is truth. He holds everything together. And I just ask you, Father, that as we get to know, uh, that, that as we go through this class, that we will get to know Jesus even better. 
So, Father, uh, would you give us wisdom right now as we sort through all that we learned today? Um, And I just ask, Father, that you would give us opportunities to share it with people out of love, to be able to point them to the truth, to Jesus himself. In Christ's name, amen.